Amen. I'm excited for us to be together today. As you can see, we'll be taking communion as part of our service today and always a special time for us as the church to be part of what Jesus instituted and called us to uh, be part of in our day. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples one day about heaven. And uh, of course, it uh, brought about questions from the disciples. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, and this place has many mansions or places for you. And uh, the question right away came from Thomas. I appreciate his boldness. Thomas gets sometimes knocked as the guy that, you know, was the, the man of doubt. But uh, Thomas was a man of, of truth, seeker of truth. And here in this moment, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going and, and how can we know the way? Great question. Glad you asked Thomas. And Jesus answers in a way in his day and in a way in our day that would trigger most folks, that would just set them off, that would cause them to start crying and run away immediately because Jesus in a very, very confident, bold way said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that is limited. That will trigger most folks because in that single statement, Jesus said, there's not a lot of paths to God. There's not many religions and they all lead to the same destination. Jesus said, there is only one God. There is only one heaven. There's only one savior. There's only one truth and there's only one way to him. And that is through Jesus himself. Jesus cut through all of that, not just because he wanted to be culturally antagonistic, but because he wanted to free the hearts of men and women. He wanted to free them from the endless pursuit of chasing gods. He wanted to free them from the nagging uncertainty if they could ever know for sure that they were going to heaven. He wanted to free them from the fear of what their standing was with God. He wanted to free them from the desperate cry of the soul that wants to know the answer. Am I right with God? Jesus answered that. And he drove a stake in the ground on that day saying, there's only one way to have your heart resurrected. There's only one way to final peace with God. There's only one way to salvation. There's only one way to live that brings the blessings of heaven to the places of earth. And that way is in Jesus Christ alone. Our message today is part of our series, We Stand Here. Our message today is called Salvation by Jesus Alone. Very fitting for the experience today of communion, a reminder of what Jesus has accomplished for us. First Timothy, Paul wrote and said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. As I've said, there are not many gods today. There are not many religions with the same God. There is not a need in our day to recognize all faiths as valid. There is one faith, and that faith is in Jesus Christ alone. He alone is the mediator. He alone 
can bring redemption. He alone can remove the curse of your sin. He alone can give you life. He alone can help you find peace with God. Now, I do want to put on screen today our QR code. If you have questions that arise uh, during the message today, feel free to point your camera at the screen now. This will take you to a link, and you can um, send in questions. I'm not going to answer them, obviously, during the message today, but we'll use them as part of our info for our podcast. We've been doing that over the past weeks. Uh, There's still more questions that we haven't gotten to yet that people have submitted. We will get to those, but feel free to submit those. Some uh, I respond to personally, but... uh, Like this past week, we had a a great question asked. We used it as our format for answering several questions on our podcast. So take a look there on YouTube and uh, several other formats as well. Spotify, Apple Podcast app, even the Google Podcast app. You can download and find um, Vertical Church Villa there. So uh, part of the reason this is so critical is because Jesus made a statement that, again, was uh, a line in the sand that would just really offend a lot of folks today because in Matthew 7, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, did you not take a class in cultural sensitivity? What's the deal here? He goes, you just, the more you talk, the more it just keeps drawing lines and people just walk away. I get it. But there are also people who are walking toward him as well. Because Jesus said, even those that are following me, even those who say to me, Lord, Lord, they will not all enter the kingdom. Jesus would go on in that same uh, passage and say that many will say to me in that day, in a day to come, they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and through your name throw out demons and through your name do many wonderful works? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, those working lawlessness. Wow. Jesus draws a deep line in the sand and says, it's not about the works you do. It's not about what all you've done in an attempt to make a name for yourself. But it is those who will come to me with full humility and surrender and find salvation in me alone. So with that in mind today, I want us to talk about a few things that salvation is not in order to understand what salvation is. So if you're taking notes, you can follow along. Again, feel free to use your phone to take uh, pictures of the screen if that's your way of taking notes, that's great. Here's some things that salvation is not. Salvation is not trying to do better. Sometimes folks come to church thinking, all right, I really want to do better in my life. And so, and that's great. But doing better is not the way to salvation. Doing better is a way of saying, I have the power within me to do what needs to be done to get the attention of heaven and for God to like me more. I'll do more and he'll like me more. That just could not be further from the gospel truth. Yet our land and our world is filled today with churches and religions that are all set on trying to do better, trying to do enough works, trying to pay off their past, trying to do enough to get on the invite list of heaven. And they don't live with any certainty of whether they have it or not. They live with uncertainty the remainder of their lives, wondering if when they get 
get to heaven if they will have an entrance because they have been trying to measure out their good works versus their sins in hopes that somehow that will pay off their debt. But the Bible is very clear. Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the works of the law. Even if you are trying to follow the law written in the Bible and you are trying to do your best to keep it, to try to earn points, to try to make yourself be liked by heaven, to try to make yourself justified, the Bible says no man is justified, declared righteous, declared in by the works of the law, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. What a stunning and humbling way that separates Christianity from all other religions. That the way into heaven, the way to redemption for your heart is by faith in Jesus alone. You see, what we need to get into heaven is to have our heart resurrected and our sin paid. And you can't get your heart resurrected by you trying to do more good deeds because it's still coming from your heart that is dead. The only way in is by in faith and surrender to Jesus Christ. I mean, the Bible even says that when we attempt to do some good things to try to earn favor, to try to prove we can do right, to try to prove we're worth it, to try to prove and ask God to like us, it says, when you do that, Isaiah says that we are like an unclean thing in that moment. That we are, in fact, the righteousnesses that we do, the things that we are trying to do to try to prove to God that we can do right, to try to prove to God we're worth being loved, to try to prove to God that we should find a way into heaven. Isaiah says that stuff is like filthy, putrid, rotting rags to God. He's not impressed by any of that because that doesn't resurrect a heart. For a heart to be resurrected, the heart has to realize it's dead. And that heart has to receive the call of Jesus alone for salvation. Not by trying to do anything to prove its worth by trying to do anything to work its way somehow into heaven, by following some set of religious code, some set of religious laws, trying to add anything to faith, the Bible says is death. So salvation is not by trying to do better. Salvation is also not adding religion to life. A lot of religious people today think that that is the way to salvation. They're just gonna add church, add communion, add baptism, add reading the Bible, add praying, add giving, add serving, that somehow Jesus plus any of that, Jesus plus the sacraments, Jesus plus speaking in tongues, Jesus plus going to church, Jesus plus all my good works, that that is what really gets you salvation. Add some church to your life and you'll get to heaven someday. No, that's not how it works. God is not impressed by empty religion. In fact, in the small book of the Old Testament with the name Amos, the prophet there writes and God writes through him. 
And God says this to them who were attempting to do a lot of religious things while still carrying on a life of sin, who were saying, I'll try to balance all of that by adding some of this. God said to them, I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. How would you like to come into a worship experience and hear God say that? Yet this is what he says to any who would come thinking, I'm gonna add some of this to my life and see if it gets me into heaven. This, that, giving, serving, whatever it is, if you're doing it, trying to add to Jesus, none of it counts in heaven because you can't add religion to your life to pay for your sin. You come to Jesus for your life who pays for your sin. That alone. Now, out of that, we do this. Out of that, we do this. Out of that, yes, we worship. But we do it out of what Jesus has done for us already. Amen? You're justified by faith. So salvation is not adding religion. Salvation is also not passed on in the genes. Did you know that? You didn't receive or you don't receive salvation because your mom had it, your dad had it, your granddad had it, or third generation back aunt had it. That's not how it works. Faith is an individual choice. Faith is something I do personally. Faith is a recognition that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Faith is me confessing my sin to God. Faith is me following Jesus with my life. Faith is not something that's passed on in the genes. In fact, the only thing that the Bible says that's passed on in the genetic code from one generation to next is a sin nature. You're born in a sin nature, born needing to come to Christ, born needing to be redeemed. You don't get into heaven because mom had it, dad had it, cousin had it. You come into heaven through Jesus alone and every person has to make that choice. Every person has to have their heart redeemed by confessing their sin to God. Salvation is not passed on in the genes. Jesus would say in John's writing in chapter three, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Those who are born after their father, their mother, those who are born here on earth, they're born in the flesh. They are just natural. They are born disconnected from God. Jesus would go on to say, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Each person must go through the process of recognizing I am but flesh. I cannot pay off my sin. I cannot get there on my own. No amount of religious effort works, good deeds can get me there, but confessing my sin and choosing to believe Jesus justifies a man, a woman, a boy, and a girl. Salvation is also not punishing myself. It's 
tempting to come into church settings and say, well, I just need to really beat myself up for my sin. I get it. There is a sorrow that comes when we recognize we have sinned. There's a deep grief. There's a sadness that settles over us. And sadly, a lot of people then believe and say things like this. Well, I'm not coming to God because I just feel so unworthy. I'm not really gonna allow myself to be at peace because I just feel so undeserving. I'm not gonna allow myself to have forgiveness in my life. I just, I just can't forgive myself. Some people say, well, I'm just not gonna allow myself to be joyful in worship because I just have had such a terrible week and I'm just so unworthy of doing that. I'm not gonna sing, I'm not gonna pray, I'm not gonna allow myself to believe God's promises. I just wanna be honest with you for a moment. All of that is you trying to punish yourself for your sin. That is you and I trying to make ourselves the sacrifice. I'll punish myself, I'll beat myself up, I'll tell myself how terrible I am, I won't participate in worship, I won't participate in singing, I won't draw near to God until I can clean myself up first. You, on your best day, are never gonna be worthy enough. Yes, there's guilt, yes, there's sorrow for our sin. That is meant to bring us to the cross. That is meant to drop us to our knees at the feet of Jesus and say, you alone have taken the punishment for my sin. I cannot do it. I can't beat myself up enough. I can't curse myself enough. I can't shame myself enough. I can't keep myself from enjoying life enough. But that is how many even church people live. Trying to somehow punish themselves enough for their sin. And it really is the height of arrogance. Because the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Because the only way that sin could be paid for was by a sinless sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And that is not me, and that is not you. Jesus alone was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The punishment for our peace was placed upon him. How offensive, how arrogant to think we need to still do it after he did it once. Amen? Amen. Salvation is also not what I want it to be. The world today would say, oh, freedom in life, you know, salvation and redemption, that's just you getting to do what you want to do. Just you be you. 
Just do what feels best for you. Do what feels good for you. Do what makes you happy. Do what brings you pleasure. And that's where real, real release is today, the world would say. But here's the deal. Heaven belongs to God. He gets to choose what it's like. He gets to choose who goes there. He gets to choose how you get in. And heaven is a holy place without sin. And the only way to get into that holy place is for you to not just have your sin paid for, but for you to become holy. And the last I checked, no one has ever, by their own merit, been able to accomplish that in this life. And heaven requires it. Only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can redeem. Only Jesus can give you the gift of righteousness. It's not a certificate because of your hard work. It's not a diploma because you took a class. It's not the result of having kept the seven sacraments. It's not a progress report at the end of all of your best efforts. Acts 4 says, there is salvation in none other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus. It's only through him. He gets to say what it is. He gets to define the priorities and the boundaries and the expectations. He gets to define it, not us. Salvation is also not by trying to be worthy. This is another very common church religious thing. I want to somehow prove myself worthy. I want to play up my strong suit, play down my weaknesses. I want to show you what I do that's spiritual. I want to hide what I do that is sinful. I get it. But the Bible says, if that's your way of coming to God, there's no salvation there. Proverbs says, he who covers his sin, hides it, will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them he will have mercy. The only way to have redemption, salvation for you, for your heart, for your life, for you to be right with heaven, right with God, and have peace, final settled peace with God, is only through humility and coming in confession of your sin, not in the hiding of your sin. Salvation happens when our heart is humble, when it's broken, when it's aware it has no power on its own, when it's walls down, when it's yielded completely, when it's willing to expose even the most vulnerable areas of the heart to Jesus. On the night that Jesus um, shared the last meal with the disciples, the disciples entered the room and Jesus did something that shocked them all. Typical custom of the day would have been for a, a gathering like that, for someone in the house to be the servant who would have taken the role of serving 
and even washing the feet of the guests. And so as the disciples entered, they looked to see which of the 12 was going to take that role. Who was the last one in? Who's the youngest? Who's the one who's gonna do this? And they look over and Jesus is assuming the role. And it's not because Jesus is in a huff because no one else will do it. It's not because Jesus is trying to show them all up and make them look bad. It's because Jesus knows that the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And Jesus is about to do something that is gonna make a powerful visual statement and experience for the disciples. So he begins to wash their feet. The master is the servant. The one who has been the teacher is now at the feet of the disciples. And he is placing his hands on their feet. Their dirty, grimy, dusty feet. And he's washing them with a basin of water and he has a servant's towel with him. And as Jesus moves closer to Peter, Peter gets a little uncomfortable, as I'm sure all the disciples were. But if Peter's feeling it, Peter's saying it. And so Peter says, wait, what are you doing? What? Hold up. You are not going to do this. It's one of those kind of moments of humble brag, you know, like, oh, no, 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 please. You know, I'm not going to do this, really. And it's this moment of very uncomfortable relationship because Jesus is now about to serve Peter and all Peter can do is offer to him his feet. That which he's vulnerable about, concerned about. Here is the master serving us. This just doesn't feel right. And Peter protests and Peter says no and they get into a discussion and Jesus says to him, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can have none of me. You will have no part with me. And Jesus is saying in this moment, the way to redemption and salvation is through you yielding every part of who you are to me. Even that which you want to hide, even that which you want no one else to know about, even that that to you feels very uncomfortable and awkward, that puts the heart in a place of the greatest humility. Jesus, I'm letting you see the parts of my life that no one else sees. I'm letting you see the corners in my heart that I don't even like to visit. I'm letting you deal with all of the places that are filthy, where I'm guilty, where I'm ashamed, that have separated me from having any kind of peace with the Father. And in that moment, Peter lets Jesus wash his feet. And it's a moment you and I are all in, we're all invited to. Because for there to be salvation, I have to stop trying to prove I'm worthy and start recognizing 
That's the last thing that I am, is worthy. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve you washing not just my feet, but my sins. I don't deserve the fact that you took the punishment from me. I don't deserve the fact that you want to give me your perfection when all I've done is fail. I don't deserve any of that. I'm not worthy. When the heart gets to that spot, this is where salvation happens. This is when the heart is made alive. This is when the heart allows Jesus to cleanse and to free them. So those are the things that salvation is not. And man, it just flies up all into our own self-righteousness, our own self-strength and will, and it just lays all of us flat, as it should. Because for all that salvation is not, here's what salvation is. Salvation is by Jesus alone. Only Jesus can resurrect a heart. Only Jesus could enter into heaven with his own blood, having it poured out in payment for our sin, and having sat down at the right hand of God, having paid once and for all for us. Only Jesus can resurrect a heart from its guilt, from its shame, from its fear, from its selfishness, from its sin, and only Jesus can give a heart a new life. Only Jesus can give us new desires. Only Jesus can give us acceptance in heaven. Only Jesus can forgive us. Only Jesus can show mercy. Only Jesus can show us the kind of love that changes a heart. Only Jesus can do that. No other religion, no other self-effort, nothing else. Only Jesus can do that. And so today, as we prepare for communion, it's important that we remember this because this is what communion is all about. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. The bread represents the body of Jesus. There's nothing else up here. There's nothing that represents your works. There's nothing that represents your religious performance. There's nothing that represents your punishment for yourself. There's nothing that represents your attempts at perfection. None of that, that's not here. That's not what we're here to remember today. We're here to remember Jesus alone because Romans tells us we are justified by faith through Jesus. When we have peace or when we have been justified, we have peace. Having come to Jesus, we have final, ultimate peace with God through him. We believe, the Bible teaches, and whether we choose to believe it or not, it's true that there is peace with God through Jesus. I don't mean peace in the moment. I don't mean peace that lasts for 10 minutes while you're here and then leaves the minute you walk out the door. I'm talking about final, ultimate peace with God to the point that you come, cry out to him, confess your sins. He forgives you, he heals you, he redeems you, and then you can say what Paul says, therefore, now, Having been justified, it's the word that means to have a sentence declared over you. 
by the judge of the universe, he declares a sentence over your life. And he says, justified, redeemed, made perfect, righteous. This is a declaration given by God to those who believe to the end that we can say, now I have peace, final peace with God. I don't have to worry about my sins of the past. I don't have to worry about my sins of this day. I don't have to worry about my sins of the future because Jesus has paid for them all and has given me Though I did not deserve it, he has given me the declared sentence of justified, righteous. Now, we come to a moment like this in communion, and this is the great moment that reveals what you believe about all that we've talked about today. Let me tell you some of my own experiences and how this moment normally goes. And you will identify with it. Because some churches come to this moment right here and they view this, some Christians even view this, as a moment of a religious exercise. Oh, I'm going to take communion. This will be another religious point for me in my scorecard. This is not a religious experience gained, that gains a point for you. Some come to this moment and say, oh, I'm gonna do a good deed. This should help settle the score in heaven. I'm gonna take communion. Some people see it as a way to earn favor with God. Some take it as a way to pay off their sin. And some people will not even participate because they're attempting to punish themselves for their sin. They will say, oh, I just don't feel worthy to go and receive communion. Look. No one in this room feels worthy to come and receive communion. That's not, that's not your entry to this moment. In fact, knowing you are unworthy is what brings you to this table. Amen? And that he alone is worthy. Now, I get it. If there's something in your heart that you need to confess before God, you should do that. If there's some sin you are practicing that you need to walk away from, I get it, you should. Do not let the guilt of your sin stop you from coming here because that guilt is paid for by the very blood and body represented right here. Do not let the enemy keep you from coming to Jesus and the payment and atonement for your sin because represented right here is the fullness of what Jesus has done. Represented here is the broken body of Jesus. We have intentionally used these, what we might say here in Texas, as crackers. But in Jewish culture, this is what they said was bread. Unleavened bread. Bread that does not have yeast. We've intentionally used this because it represents what they use or similar to what they would have used. And it represents several things. It's without leaven or yeast, which in the Old Testament represented sin. So this bread is without yeast. This bread, as you'll notice, has been baked. It has stripes on it by the way it has been cooked. Those stripes 
represent and remind us of the stripes on Jesus' back, his suffering for us. These, this bread has been broken. Now, there was no bone of Jesus broken on the cross. But what we have is the body broken for us so that we might all be one as the church today. This is what Jesus did in breaking the bread and sharing with his disciples. And he invites us to the same today as well. This juice here represents the blood of Jesus. A sacrifice that could pay for our sin would have to be sinless. Just as the lamb offered in the Old Testament had to be spotless. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that alone could atone for our sin. That alone was from a savior who was holy. That alone was from a savior who had lived a sinless life and gave his life for us so that we might be free from the debt of our sin and the uncertainty of our soul and the question that nags within us. Is there peace with God? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. By faith in him, his sacrifice, his blood, his body, yes, there is. Now, I want to read the passage as we come close to our time today for receiving this from 1 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle Paul wrote to the New Testament church to give them instructions on how to participate in this moment. And he said this, he said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup of the new covenant is my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And then Paul got very practical for us in this moment. He said, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Paul says, there is a way that you could approach this table that is an unworthy way. And based on what we read here and in the scripture, the unworthy way would be to come here and do this as a religious exercise. To do this to try to gain points with heaven. To do this to try to perfect yourself. To do this to try to punish yourself because you would be dismissing the reality of what Jesus has done for us. That would be unworthy. To punish yourself when the punishment for your sin lays before you, that's unworthy to try to perfect yourself enough when the perfection for your soul lays right here before you, that would be unworthy. 
He says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Any of those approaches causes you to walk away from this table with uncertainty, with still judgment looming over you. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. What disturbing, alarming words for us. As we come here today, let's remember this has been given to us so that our soul might be free free from guilt, free from shame, free from all the striving, free from all the uncertainty, free from wondering, is there peace with God? The answer before us is by faith in Jesus Christ, most certainly, yes. You can have peace with God. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. So I would say to you, in just a moment, we're going to pray. In that time, confess your sin, yes. Acknowledge the death of Jesus for you, yes. Wallow in the need to punish yourself, no. That punishment was taken by Jesus. Fear because you haven't been perfect enough, no. That perfection can only be attained by Jesus. So in great humility, you receive this bread and this blood today with great worship. Amen? So I'm going to pray. You take time to pray. Today, this needs to be a very personal, private experience for you. You take time. When you're ready, you come and get your cup, your piece of bread. You can return to your seat. And when you are ready, you partake. You experience communion with God because through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified and we have peace with God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, what you have done is glorious and good. What you have done is staggering to our hearts and minds. What you have done, we are undeserving of and with great humility, we receive today what you have done for us. We receive your love. We receive forgiveness. We receive great mercy. We receive the full payment for our sin. And we receive that we have complete peace with you, Father, because of what you, Jesus, have done. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.